you're listening to the Whitewater Podcast. First off, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Hey guys, my name is Michael. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the creative arts worship pastor here, and I'm coming to you from the Whitewater Creative Headquarters, aka my garage. You can tell where we are in the pandemic based on the condition of our fiddle fig. Um, It is in rough shape today. No joke, back in the middle of the pandemic, it was down to one single leaf, and I thought for sure it was done, and it has come back. So it is our resurrection fiddle fig leaf. If it can survive, we can survive. We're in a series called Spirit Led, and today I get to talk to us about how the Spirit leads us to become generous people. That's right, we get to talk about money. Because everyone loves talking about money, right? It's like talking about politics at family reunion, which this year has taught me uh, has levels to it. (laughs) Why is it important to talk about money? The Bible has 490 verses that deal directly with faith. They have 500 or more that deal with prayer and 2,000 that deal with money. That's 28 in the Gospels alone. That's one in every 10 verses. The Bible contains more verses on money than faith and prayer combined. And yet we hate talking about money. Be honest, how many of you are hovering over the skip button right now? Don't do it. I also want to point out that for some of us, talking about money is not that uncomfortable. But you start talking about meeting your neighbors, building community, and it's like, (gasps) I would prefer to just write a check and let you guys do that. And there's some of us who having people over, barbecuing, building community, we're all about that, but don't talk to me about my money. And the gospel challenges all of us in unique ways. So I want to invite you. We're going to be learning about the rich young ruler this morning. And if money is one of these topics that makes you uncomfortable, Don't run. Don't shut down. Lean into it and see what God has to say to us this morning. This story shows up in Luke, Matthew, and Mark, but we're going to jump into it from Mark today. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked Jesus. Looking at them intently, he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything 
is possible with God. I've always wondered, what, what are this guy's motives? Like, is he genuine? Is he really wanting to make sure that he's checked all the boxes? Or is he trying to show off for, for Jesus? Is he trying to show off how great of a job he's been doing? Either way, Jesus calls him out on his blind spot. And what's his blind spot? Is it that the man had lots of money? He was rich? I think his blind spot was not that he had riches, but that his riches possessed him. And I love that in verse 21, right before Jesus kind of gives him a correction or a challenge, he says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. In Luke, the translation says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. How many of you know that when you love someone, you challenge someone at times? Like we have this idea in our culture that love is just making everyone feel loved and do whatever they want and and never correcting or challenging anyone. But how many of you know that that's not really love? Like if you care about someone, if you care about your kid, you're not going to let them run in the middle of the street, right? If you love someone, you give them correction. And Jesus wants what is best for this man. He wants this man to be free. In Luke 4.18, Jesus is saying this about himself, but he's actually quoting an older scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Captivity comes in all shapes and sizes, and generosity frees us from the captivity of money. We chase after things that we think we want, but they ultimately rip us off. That's our culture. Look on Instagram, look on Facebook. Everyone is chasing this idea of a life that they think they want, but we're the most isolated, we're the most divided, we're the most anxious we've ever been. Like culture is a mess. And I think it looks different in different generations too. Like I could be off on this, but I I think that my parents' generation, uh, it was materialism, like having a big big house, having a big TV, having a boat, uh, having a Hummer. Who remembers Hummers? What a weird car. If you have a Hummer, sorry, your car is very cool. Uh, My generation, I feel like it looked a little bit different. I feel like my generation has cared less about things and more about experiences. We want to travel. We want to see the world. We want to collect these experiences. None of which is bad, but it's the same thing wrapped differently. It ultimately leaves us isolated, anxious, and divided. God loves us so much Enough that he accepts us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He wants our best. Giving makes us better people. This is a quote my grandpa shared with me that I love from this author, Daniel Taylor. He says, giving people offer friendship easily. They're open-handed, not only with their money, but also with their emotions. They are quick to encourage and console. They take genuine delight in good fortune of others. Givers have a certain openness about them. They're not aggressively competitive. They generally laugh a lot and have very little self-pity. How many of you know that that's true? Like when you think of a person in your life that's generous, doesn't that check out? Generosity makes us better people. So how do we practice generosity? God gives us a tool to start practicing generosity, and it's called tithing. Tithing is this Old Testament practice that God's people use where they would give 10% of their income from their crops, whatever they brought in, and they would give it back to God through the local church. Now, there are some people that would argue that that was Old Testament law, and when Jesus showed up on the scene, he fulfilled the law, so as Christians, we are no longer expected to tithe. 
I used to think this way. But I think that that's similar to the rich young ruler. I think it's easy sometimes to hide behind our theology and miss the point of what God is trying to teach us. The rich young ruler is going, oh yeah, 10 commandments. I've done that since I was a little boy. And God was like, you're missing the point. You and I could have a theological debate around tithing, and I think we would be missing the point. Jesus shows up in Matthew. He's on the scene now, and this is what he says, Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and your Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus is not only affirming the tithe, but he's saying it's not the standard, it's the ground floor. It's not the point, it's the entry point. The point is that we become generous people. I'll tell you a little bit about my journey with tithing. I, uh, I remember growing up, money felt tight at times. We weren't poor, I always had what I needed, but I remember the feeling of money feeling tight. When I started making my own money, I just remember thinking, I wanna make sure I have enough. At the time I was working at a church, I was technically the youth worship guy. I led junior high youth group and then high school and college, got roped into playing upstairs in the satellite campus. And I was basically living off of gas money. The pastor would preach these sermons on giving and he would say, you know, you're supposed to give your time and your talent and your treasure. And I thought, well, I'm giving my time and I'm giving my talent and uh, I work at a coffee shop. So I think God gets it. <laughs> like, I'll let someone else deal with the treasure piece. I've got the time and the talent taken care of. I was giving, uh, but I would give money to things that I wanted to give money to. I was supporting a kid in Africa through World Vision. I had a friend who had a nonprofit organization that I was giving towards. So I was being generous, but only when I wanted to and on my terms, which isn't really generosity. It's not really learning to be a generous person. For me, money was about control. I wanted to be in control of my finances. I wanted to bring in the money. I wanted to decide where it went. And tithing was a process for me of letting go of that control and realizing that God was ultimately in control. I'm not a self-made man. Everything I have, he's provided for me. And it's made me a better, less anxious, more joyful, peaceful person. George has always said, everything we own is on loan. And it's true. Everything we have is a gift from God. Our jobs, all that is a gift from the Lord. Tithing is that check for us that reminds us, oh yeah, I'm not in control. He is, which is a good thing because I suck at being in control. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in expression of thanks to God. Our church, Whitewater, is supported on tithe. We rent our buildings. We got to keep the lights on, the chairs, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus loved the church. All throughout the Bible, Jesus refers to the church as the bride of Christ. There's a popular thinking amongst many of my friends, which goes, I have this great relationship with God, and I have this great relationship with Him. I feel close, but I really hate organized religion. I just can't stand the church. It's kind of like saying, 
Michael, I love you, dude. You're rad. I just love hanging out with you. But man, I can't stand your wife. Can't stand Kenny. We're not going to have a great relationship, right? I get it. The church is a messy place, and it's full of messy people. We're a hospital. We're not a talent show. However, the church for thousands of years has been one of the most powerful forces of change in the world. People meeting Jesus, lives being transformed. The community is blessed. And when you tithe to a church, you're actually investing in bringing about the kingdom of God on earth. How do you start? You start, right? It's starting somewhere. You might know Rick Warren. He wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, he has this huge church down in California. They're actually all over now. And, but when he planted his church, he just, him and his wife decided that they were going to tithe 10%. And then every year they were going to up their tithing a little bit percentage-wise. And after being there for 30 years, he wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. It became the second best-selling book behind the Bible of all time, which is crazy. And he went ahead and paid the church back every penny he'd been paid for the past 30 years that he had worked there. Now he lives off of 10% of his income. He drives the same car. He lives in the same house. And I think they have a church in every continent on the globe now. And they're, they're going after every tribe and every tongue. It's, it's crazy. They're really killing it. But he gets criticized a lot by people when he tells his story. And, and they'll say, yeah, if I had billions of dollars, I'd do that too. And he says, no, you wouldn't because you're not now. And that's heavy, but it's true. You just have to start somewhere. Check out the very first sentence. It says this, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, there's a key there. A man came running up to him, knelt down, asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is good. What Jesus is getting at is he's attacking the idea that you can be good enough. That there's a way to be good enough that if you follow the right rules, if you do the Ten Commandments perfect or you tithe a certain amount, that you're good enough. He's undercutting that right at the beginning. So then he goes on, he challenges the guy, the guy walks away sad, right? And then Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's a weird picture, right? Camel going through the eye of a needle, it's impossible. I think Jesus is more likely talking about something different. It said they were on their way to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem in the evenings and on the Sabbath, they would shut down the doors of the city and stop commerce from happening. And there was one gate called the eye of the needle that was left open. And a camel could fit through the eye of a needle, but it would have to take off all of its saddlebags, all of the merchandise that it was carrying. Isn't that interesting? The disciples were astounded, it says, then who in the world can be saved? They asked Jesus. Jesus, looking at them intently, said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But for God, everything is possible with God. And I think it's no coincidence that two verses later, Jesus is saying, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand them over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. 
And after three days, he will rise again. So right in the middle of Jesus having this discussion, challenging this guy about money and stuff, he's on his way to give the ultimate gift of generosity. His life is the ultimate radical sacrifice that makes it possible for you and I to have eternal life. Not because of how good we are, not because of how much we tithe, not because of how good we do, but because of his radical sacrifice and death on the cross that we might know life. Jesus invites us into a life of sacrifice that we might experience the true beauty and richness of life. I'm the rich young ruler. You're the rich young ruler. We are the rich young ruler. The story's really about us. And not only that, but I think that we really live in the rich young country. If you make over $50,000 a year, you make more money than 99% of the world. Isn't that crazy? May we not be the rich young church. This is my challenge. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. We're all on a journey. If it's not 10%, start with something. And if you're giving a little bit, try bumping it up to 10%. Or like Rick Warren, who decided every year to tithe a little bit more. That's my challenge for us. I promise you it will change your heart. It'll change your life. It'll change the world around you. Love you guys. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.